So Human Rights Watch recently published a report titled The Costs of International Advocacy, China's Interference in United Nations Human Rights Mechanisms. According to the report, China is abusing its power and influence to shrink the space for NGOs, especially for those with dissenting voices, while the whole UN machinery tries to make space for civil society. Let's bring in Akshaya Kumar, Deputy United Nations Director at Human Rights Watch, to hear more. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for having me and covering this important story. Well, um, we hope that you'll enlighten us because Human Rights Watch Executive Director Kenneth Roth said China engages with the UN on human rights, but often with the goal of aggressively silencing criticism and eroding access for activists who work on China. Can you elaborate on that rather strong statement? Well, that statement is based on our observations of Chinese behavior at the United Nations, its use and manipulation of the seats of authority that it has won over time to silence critics and sideline civil society activists who simply seek to share their opinions and views. Maybe the best example is the UN's uh, Special Committee on Non-Governmental Organizations, where states have the authority to decide which NGOs get to access the UN. And consistently, the Chinese government uses its seat on that committee to block access for any NGOs that are really critical of uh, China. And sometimes it even questions NGOs um, simply for using the word Tibet on their website. Mm. That's happened to us at Human Rights Watch. We've got a couple of cases that we can hone in on a little further. Uh, firstly, Chao Xunli. Chao Xunli's case is really uh, a huge tragedy. In that situation, she was seeking to uh, influence the last time China came up for the Universal Periodic Review at the UN's Human Rights Council in Geneva. And she solely was trying to actually go to Geneva to participate in a training on uh, human rights activism and how to better share perspectives through UN mechanisms and bodies. But she was not only blocked by the Chinese government from traveling, she was then detained. And while she was detained, uh, she ended up falling ill and passing away. To add insults to all of this injury, when other civil society activists uh, in Geneva wanted to hold a moment of silence in her honor after she had passed, the Chinese government even blocked that. They said, we don't want to remember this person. Mm. That, very sad in itself. We also have Dolkun Issa, an ethnic Uyghur rights activist that you've been looking at. Yeah, his case is just from earlier this year, and it's a bizarre situation where a person who was fully accredited to be inside the UN premises, in fact, he had got through that hurdle I was mentioning before where the Chinese government is able to sideline many activists because he had a special pass for um, a very short permanent forum on indigenous peoples. Uh, and even his presence there for just those couple days, his participation in one uh, event must have angered somebody um, in the Chinese establishment because to the best of our ability, what we've been able to piece together is that uh, the Chinese officials who control the division that manages um, NGO accreditation decided that he should no longer be accredited. And so while he was just 
stepped out of the meeting for a moment and was in the hallway, he was ejected by UN security and not allowed in again. Uh, and that's, again, an example of this abuse of power, this overreach, uh, and, and almost taking advantage of the UN's institutions to shield itself from criticism. And all of that, of course, comes in the context of the fact that um, in China, back home, uh, there's an incredible crackdown ongoing on civil society. So, so there really is quite a bit to hide. And, you know, that will anger people listening now. When President Xi Jinping gave a keynote speech in Geneva in January uh, of this year, the UN actually blocked NGOs from attending the speech. Is, is that um, something that's become more and more common then? It's not the case that NGOs can go to every single speech that a head of state gives. And there are myriad reasons that that might happen, whether it's security or space. Um, but what's actually crazier to me about um, the incident from January with Xi Jinping is the UN officials didn't just keep NGOs out of the room. They also sent home 3,000 of their own staff so that they weren't even on campus that day. Uh, and, and to me, that step was highly unusual because these are UN staff members who work at the UN day in and day out. Um, and for whatever reason, they decided that it was just uh, more comfortable for the Chinese president to speak in Geneva if all of their staff weren't present and they were at home. I mean, China seems to have strong mechanisms at play in its own country, not least its um, firewall of blocking free access online, which can have profound impacts, but also domestically. And occasionally we'll see coverage leaked out of the country, which will demonstrate that. Um, but how does it get away with this on the international stage at the UN? You know, in some cases, that's really what's puzzling. In the case of Dolkhan Isa, I keep wondering, why is it that the UN uh, would allow somebody who had all of the credentials of an incredibly good reason to be there and to be participating, and who was only going to be there for a few short days? Why would they allow... Um, a Chinese official to overreach his power and get this person ejected? Shouldn't there be some other kind of check and balance? And that was why we uh, put this report out to shine a spotlight on cases like this and to make sure that maybe we couldn't uh, solve the situation for Mr. Isa, but the next time an activist who's brave enough to come forward despite the fear of reprisals, and there have been so many instances of people who have felt reprisal, who have uh, felt pressure or been attacked because they tried to uh, participate um, in these UN institutions. Um, so if somebody comes forward bravely to tell their side of the story, they should be protected by the UN and its institutions. Yet China is a member of the Human Rights Council. What role does that council play? The Human Rights Council is actually one of the most central institutions at the UN. It's the premier body where human rights issues are debated and discussed. They meet three times a year, and they cover a whole range of issues from country situations like Myanmar, for example, uh, where there's a huge humanitarian and human rights crisis ongoing now because of the military's operations against the Rohingya population. Mm. But they also cover thematic issues like the right to... Uh, development, which the Chinese government is very active on, or the right to health or the right to family. 
Uh, and in many of these cases, what we see is the Chinese delegation uses its seat to shield its allies, like the government of Myanmar, or to limit um, the ways that these resolutions recognize the value of um, civil society contributions. Well, China is still uh, slated for its next universal periodic review in 2018, apparently. What, what is that review? Universal periodic review is a really unique tool that the UN recently developed, which said that every country in the world should come under scrutiny for human rights. It's based on the fundamental recognition that no country is perfect. Uh, wherever you come from, there are human rights concerns and issues from that place. And so every country should come under the microscope. China's turn uh, comes around again in 2018. And as I mentioned, uh, Lee's case actually dates back to the last time there was a universal periodic review. And it really points to the need uh, for more protections to be afforded to those who want to try to influence it. Because the best uh, reviews are ones where the country or the government doesn't just examine itself, but also ones where civil society voices are heard so that they can give their perspective on where the government is not delivering a human rights. And that is going to be the critical element to see whether this UPR will be successful at making a difference for people's human rights in China. Will uh, the UPR have all sides' perspectives or just the government? Is there any hope in your mind that there will be a fair perspective there? Well, we uh, certainly hope that uh, the Human Rights Council will create space to hear from civil society voices and that Chinese activists will be able to get out of the country and tell their story. And the onus on that falls both on the Chinese government, of course, to restrain itself from these practices that we've documented in our report, but also on the UN to safeguard people from reprisals and attacks and ensure that uh, everyone who seeks to share their perspective is given the space and time to do so. Can you give us a sense of of just how many activists or how significant activists are within China? Presumably many have to stay pretty quiet, but do you have any idea? It's hard to put a number on it, and you uh, already mentioned the Great Firewall, which restricts a great deal of information. But what I can say about activism and human rights advocacy in China is that and the people of China are the real engine of change there. And so uh, you have an incredible amount of energy from these people themselves who are seeking a better lives, and that means not just uh, better lives economically, but also the ability to share their views without being censured, the ability to travel and participate in these UN mechanisms without being stopped. Uh, and it's almost uh, a groundswell. It's a tide that will be impossible to stop eventually. And so in some ways, these efforts by the Chinese government, to me, they seem anachronistic. They don't represent the reality of this world, which is that we're increasingly interconnected. And when we, you do silence or censure someone, you'll actually bring more attention rather than successfully shutting them up. To me as well, the state of madness is that the world seems to have conveniently put that to one side and continues to recognize China as this hugely important superpower without um, allowing these issues to be under a fiercer glare. Well, we thank you for, for shedding some light on it for us today anyway. Akshaya Kumar. No, thank you for 
spotlighting uh, this complicated but uh, very important issue. Akshaya Kumar, Deputy United Nations Director at Human Rights Watch. Uh, the power there lies in the people, but uh, that includes people outside of China to continue to take interest. You can text us your thoughts right now, Powder Sharp 1013 for 51 per message.